ever struggled with a bully in your child's life? Or are you struggling with one now? When you discovered that there was a bully hurting your child in some way, how did you react? Did you instantly visualize speaking to this child, speaking to the child's parents, or perhaps contacting your child's teacher? Does seeing your child get picked on bring back any childhood memories? Did you ever struggle with a bully in your life? Do you remember that kid at school who seemed to find pleasure in tormenting you or other kids in your class? What is it about bullies? Why does it seem that at some point in our lives, we all end up dealing with a bully? Even now as adults, from time to time, they seem to show up in our lives with that self-righteous energy that seems to say, I am here to make your life miserable. Why is that? And what can we do to rid ourselves of a bully? How can we support our children if they seem to be suffering with the presence of a bully in their lives? If there isn't a bully presently in our lives or in our children's lives, then what can we do to prevent a bully from reappearing? Or what can we do to prevent a bully from choosing us in the first place? Today's podcast is about bullying. Struggling with a bully? Need some help? Then be sure to listen to today's podcast where I will share my thoughts on why bullying occurs and what we can do to support ourselves and our children when a bully shows up. Welcome to the Awakened Parenting Podcast. I am Jill McPherson, and I'm a mother of four and a teacher for 25 years. Throughout my teaching career, I have been involved in various initiatives involving ways we as teachers can address bullying in our schools. Over the years, there has been various programs and approaches, all with what appears to be the same goal, to rid our schools of the bully. There are now anti-bullying days where students and staff are invited to wear pink or other paraphernalia to show solidarity against bullying. Bullies are to get a clear message that we won't tolerate their mean behavior. In Canada, Bully Prevention Week occurs the third week in November. Some schools take the time to recognize and acknowledge bully prevention strategies throughout the entire week. Often light is shone on the many books and articles that have been written about how to address the bully. Dozens of programs have been written and implemented in schools in an attempt to stop the bully. With all these efforts, why haven't bullies disappeared? As I sit here preparing my words for this podcast, I can't help but wonder in what direction to take this topic. I can discuss it more on the surface, so to speak. I can try to keep it light and simple, or I can invite listeners to go a little deeper into this topic, a place many perhaps don't want to go, a place that often can make us feel uncomfortable. We often don't like discomfort, so we may want to quickly dismiss ourselves from this topic if it gets too deep or too heavy. I know that feeling. I too have walked away from that discomfort when someone starts leading me to look at an area of struggle in my life deeper than just on the surface. I've also found that when I get brave enough to stay and explore, I can find a lot of empowering answers for myself in regards to addressing challenges in my life, like bullying behavior. 
So, before I continue, I want to invite you to explore a little deeper with me than perhaps you have through a book, magazine article, or school program. In this podcast, I want to go beyond how to handle a bullying situation that is occurring in our lives or our child's life. I want to go beyond not just how to survive the bully, but how to discover what is really going on for us when a bully comes a-knocking. So, are you ready? Let's start on the surface, so to speak, and see what this conversation leads us in discovering more about ourselves and the other. We all know bullying can occur within various contexts. It doesn't just happen at school. However, my experience with bullying has occurred mainly at school, as a teacher, a parent, and even back in the day when I was a student. In recent years, many school boards decided to take on a zero tolerance to any sort of bullying or violence in schools. It is a strong, no-nonsense approach that deems any violence unacceptable. Immediate and often severe punishment is to be implemented if a child is discovered being mean or physically violent towards another child. To keep this consistent among schools, many administrators have lists of unacceptable behaviors with predetermined consequences. The hope is that once bullies realize that certain behaviors will come with certain consequences, then they will consciously choose to stop. My guess is the hope is the child might think something like, oh, I could get time in the office, I could miss out on a class privilege, I could get expelled. Well then, I will definitely stop doing this unpleasant thing or stop behaving in this unpleasant way. This paradigm seems to be the basis of our judicial system. Do the crime, pay the time. Threatening punishments will deter unwanted behavior. So this works, right? Punishment or the threat of punishment stops unwanted behaviors? Hmm. Well, it is likely safe to say that might be true for some of us. Have you ever picked on someone? Did you stop because you feared the punishment? Or did you stop once you realized that your laughter or exclusion of a peer was causing them pain? Or were you never the bully? Did you never bully anyone that you were aware of because you knew what the punishment might be if you got caught? Or did you just not bully anyone because it just wasn't in you? Perhaps you rarely felt the urge or need to hurt another. Is it possible that the threats of consequences were not required because it just wasn't in you to be a bully? If so, why do you suppose that was? What was your self-image? Did you have a painful story that nobody liked you? Did you have a belief that you had to get other kids before they got you? Or did you like yourself and see yourself as a nice person? Perhaps you had no need to try to prove yourself to be better than anyone else. What experiences in your life brought you to being that way? What experiences brought the child who bullies to behave that way? Hmm. My experience is that in all our anti-bullying initiatives, the same underlying message seems to be present. The bully is seen as the enemy who we must conquer. Even the label anti-bullying suggests we are against the bully. So here's a place I'm going to invite you to go a little deeper in thought with me. Have you ever noticed that what we focus on is what we get? 
Have you ever noticed when you are thinking, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to forget. I just can't do it. I don't want to be nervous. I am not going to be angry. But all those things we don't want tend to be what we get. And when we focus on what we do want, we tend to get more of that. Shifting our thinking to focus on what we want rather than what we don't want is not an easy shift to make. When we become mentally disciplined and strong enough to train our minds to stay focused on what it is we want rather than what we don't want, things change. Our lives change. This point reminds me of my driving lessons when I was a teenager. I remember my instructor and my parents telling me that if I hit ice and the car started to spin, or I hit loose gravel and I could feel the car heading towards the ditch, or if I see something on the road I don't want to hit, always keep your eyes straight ahead and look to where you want the car to go. Don't look at the ditch or the oncoming objects. Just keep your eyes on the road. Why is that? How would that help? Because even our own bodies respond and follow the direction of what our minds are focusing on. This underlying principle is at the foundation of what many greats who have walked this planet suggested. They taught and role modeled us to always keep focusing on where we want to go. And chances are, that is where we will end up. So, why do I cringe every time I hear or read the label anti-bullying? Because we are still inviting our children, our students, and ourselves to focus on what we don't want rather than what we want. What would happen if we shifted the focus from teaching kids how to stop bullying to how to excel at friendship? What if we taught our students how to communicate kindly and effectively even when another person is struggling to be kind? What if we had special events or an entire week called Friendship Week to teach explicit friendship skills? What if we taught children through empathy and compassion how to truly see one another as fellow human beings rather than people we have placed stories, judgments, and labels upon, which in turn fogs our vision to truly see what is really going on with a struggling to be kind child? Did I go too deep? Let's go back up to the surface for a moment and catch our breath. Through our breath, let's take a moment to ponder and get grounded. Now, let's continue. There are various approaches parents might encourage their children to take when dealing with a bully. Sometimes parents coach their child to retaliate with harsh words or even a fist to teach the bully a lesson, to give him a piece of his own medicine as the expression goes. I know many teachers cringe when they hear a parent confessing that this is how they are directing their child. This technique has been around for thousands of years. It is based on the paradigm of an eye for an eye. Even though many people have walked this planet teaching us that an eye for an eye is not the answer, there is often immediate satisfaction in this approach, even if we only fantasize hurting the other in our own mind. So does this approach work? Perhaps there may appear to be benefits in the short term. However, rarely are there long-lasting beneficial results. As Gandhi suggested, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Blind to what? What is it that we can't see? 
I will dive deeper into this question in a moment. Some believe fighting back works, but I would suppose that would depend on your definition of working. Yes, sometimes the bully now leaves you or your child alone, but did we defeat the bully? No, of course not. The bully will simply move on to find a new prey with perhaps even more built-up ammunition to impose on their next victim. I want to clarify that retaliation is inflicting the pain you experienced back onto your attacker. Gandhi's quote, be the change you want to see in the world, has been known to be shared during anti-bullying events. I do love hearing that, a positive, clear direction on which to our focus attention. I keep your eyes on the road message. Another principle that Gandhi offered the world was that retaliation is the first act of war. In other words, there is no fight until the second person retaliates. Civil rights activist Dr. Martin Luther King offered us the same principle of nonviolent civil disobedience to facilitate positive social change. In other words, he asked his followers to not fight back even when being attacked. So if someone hits us, are we supposed to just take it? Well, the short answer is yes. However, that is only half the story. To explain it further would require another deep plunge. For now, let's just stay here and ask how this principle of not fighting back could work for our children. What if someone is being mean to our child or teen at school? I know as a mother, if someone is hurting my child, my quote-unquote mother bear, I call her, comes to the surface. Roar. Watch out, people. Don't mess with mother bear. How many moms out there know what I'm talking about? When our children are little, yes, it is our job to keep them safe and predators away. However, just like a real mother bear, as they get older and wander away from us and the den, our job is to teach them how to protect themselves when we are not there, like at school. Is retaliation effective protection? At some level, one could argue yes. Retaliation, however, reminds me of political wars. It may help you win the battle, but I'm afraid it does not guarantee you will win the war. Winning a battle could mean more battles are likely waiting around the corner. So, how can we teach our children to protect themselves? First, by helping them see themselves and the other beyond our own stories we have about the situation. Can we first see past our story of being the victim? Can we see past the story of the other as the bully? Hmm, what does that mean? I'm going to pause and invite you to ponder what that might mean for you. I am suggesting that our blindness continues when we believe punishing a child will stop them from bullying another. Inflicting pain to get someone to stop inflicting pain. Hmm. I find that belief system fascinating. We need to remember that the cause of bullying is not due to an absence of threats, punishment, or retaliation. The cause of bullying is due to the absence of love. So does this mean we're supposed to love the bully? Uh, Okay, let's get practical here. How is this information going to help my child who hates school 
begs me to not take him to school every morning. How's it going to help me with this constant struggle to get my kid to school? Don't tell me I'm supposed to tell my kid to love the bully. You clearly don't get this. I have heard this type of response from parents before. My child is suffering. Don't give me the theory or spiritual teachings. Just tell me what to do so I can make it stop. Finding love for someone who is inflicting pain on their child is a big leap. It requires going deep within. When I hear my own mental monologue say something like, yeah, that's nice, but how do I fix this? I know I'm back on the surface. I'm back living in the story, examining the story, seeking my innocence or my child's innocence, focusing on the other child's guilt, and then trying to figure out what I need to do to stop it. I have noticed that when I am in the pain of the story, solutions rarely come to me. Again, it requires me to take a deep breath and go deeper beyond the story and set an intention to see the situation in a way that will benefit myself, my child, and yes, even the bully. But how? I love teaching music and drama to students in kindergarten to grade three. For many, it may appear as though that is all I am teaching. However, every day, I intentionally incorporate songs and activities to assist students in developing the skills they need to not be bullied, to not be the bully, as well as what to do if you find yourself the bystander to a bully. Each class I teach begins with what I call the meet and greet song. I play some sort of song that we can use to meet and greet one another. No matter which song I use for this opening activity, the goal is the same for the students. Make eye contact to ensure we acknowledge everyone in the room. Before COVID, the direction was during the song, they were to walk around the room and greet all of their classmates with a handshake, a high five, a namaste, or ask for a hug. Now we have adjusted our tradition to standing at our spots and calling out names to each other in the many ways we've learned how to say hello with a mask. I encourage them to get grounded in themselves and feel confident, then to smile at each other and see the light in everyone's eyes. I invite them to see if they can make their own eyes say, I see you and I'm glad you're here. What has this got to do with bully prevention? Many of us have learned to see the bully as the enemy, someone who is being mean, who is bad, who needs to change his or her behavior. If we only see that, we are blind. Blind to what? To recognize that a bully is a person who has an unmet need. It can vary from bully to bully, but for the most part, most bullies are in need of things like acceptance, feelings of self-worth, connection, a sense of belonging, recognition, appreciation, or love. During the meet and greet song, I am making eye contact with the students, smiling and telling them in various ways, I see you and I'm so glad you are here. One of the things that the research shows us about violence is that children who bully are children who report a lack of community or a sense of belonging. I explained to my students that when we reach out to our classmates, 
when we make eye contact and smile, even at the child who's mean to us. It decreases the chance that the child we have called the bully needs to bully. In actual fact, bullying is simply a strategy used in order to get one's needs met. I explained to my students that the bully is someone with an unmet need and who's trying to get that need met in a destructive way. When we can see the good in everyone, when we can include everyone, it decreases the need for the lonely, struggling, or angry child to bully anyone. When children are feeling an unpleasant emotion like lonely, fear, or anger, they tend to look to someone who appears weak and easy to pick on as a way of trying to fill their emptiness. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people are less likely to pick on the person who is confidently and lovingly smiling at them. Of course, there are exceptions to this. You may remember a time when you were being nice to someone and they still attacked you, leaving you feeling like an innocent victim to the bully's aggressive behavior. Yes, this can be troubling. My experience has been that when this has occurred to me, I have found an explanation, but once again, it required going deeper than the story. I am reminded of one of my favorite quotes from the book entitled A Course in Miracles. We are never upset for the reason we think. So if someone innocently attacks us and we are upset, if I am not upset about the cruel actions and words said by another, then what am I upset about? What is really going on here? This is a red flag we can choose to further investigate or not. When we set the intention that we want to understand more so we can free ourselves from the pain, my experience is answers will come. Once we've experienced how to free ourselves from the pain inflicted by others, we can then teach our children how to do the same. Now, back to the child we have labeled the bully. Over the years, I've spent time with some students who have a history of being mean to other students. When I've spent time with them, and when I first set the intention of seeing past the collective stories or labels I have about them, I have had the privilege of seeing a deeper dimension of the child with troubling behaviors, of that child, that fellow human being that many see only on the surface. I have heard these children say things to me like, they don't want me to play with them, I'm stupid, I hate myself, I hate school, nobody likes me. When we can look at a person in the eyes and see past the stories we have about them, we suddenly see a fellow human being trying to make it on this human journey, just like us. When I listen to an angry or struggling child share these stories about him or herself, I sometimes question their own thinking. I might ask them something like, nobody likes you? Is that true? If they become more agitated, their minds indicate that they're not ready to let go of a story they've often spent years proving right. Sometimes the struggling child will respond with tears of exhaustion as they open their minds to consider letting go of their painful identity. But letting go of our identity is not easy. 
there can be a lot of resistance to letting go of our own pain. Our mental dialogue and beliefs about ourselves and others drives our behavior. Often we can be very unaware of many of our beliefs. When we don't take the time to question them, we often mistake our beliefs for the truth. The truth rather than a truth. Many of our truths or beliefs were unknowingly passed down to us from adults or culture and some we created from the interpretations of our own experiences. When children experience a moment of letting go of their painful stories they have about themselves, their behavior changes in an instant. When their behavior shifts to more positive ways of being with their peers, they begin to receive evidence that contradicts their original stories about themselves. Evidence that supports different thoughts like, I do have some friends. Some kids do like me. I guess I'm okay. When children make the shift in believing these thoughts about themselves, they do not bully others. They simply can't. The activity we do at the end of my classes is another great peace building strategy. We begin by performing some mindful breathing and movements to help us let go of any stress or tension in the body and feel into our bodies and the present moment. Then we consciously take deep breaths, connecting to our hearts. I invite the students to fill their hearts with love, to feel the love expanding so significantly that it is now bursting out of them. I remind them that we cannot give what we do not have. So our first job is to love and take care of ourselves so we can then love and take care of others. Acts of service, like being kind to each other, contributes greatly to feelings of self-worth and purpose. These are all characteristics shared by people who report themselves to be mentally well, have friends, and are overall happy with who they are. This is not true for people victimizing others. Once we've finished the breathing exercise, we open our eyes and offer love to one another. I keep a jar of popsicle sticks with the student's name on them in each class. I invite the child whose name I picked to come up to the front. As the child stands at the front, he or she listens to us all share stories of what we appreciate about him or her. I offer the young students various ways to express their appreciation like, I feel happy, excited, calm, loving, or thankful when you... I encourage them to give the person at the front specific examples of what they appreciate rather than a simple statement like, I feel good that you're my friend. The more detailed feedback we can offer, especially to children struggling to be a friend, the better. So I may ask, what makes him or her a good friend? Or, can you tell her what she says or does that excites you or that you appreciate? Sometimes children offer what they appreciate in a negative way. For example, I like it when you don't be mean. I respond with something like, good to know. However, I then ask, can you tell him what it is you do like? What does he do that you do enjoy? Children who bully are often lacking in social skills and empathy. They might think laughing at someone who fell is funny, often not knowing that the person on the floor deems this as mean, 
because they are not connected or aware of the feelings and needs of others. Receiving this feedback helps open them up to hearing the impact their actions have on others and what they can do instead that will help meet their need for acceptance and inclusion by their peer group. After several weeks, once everyone has had a turn being appreciated, including the classroom teacher, then I turn the task around. When I pick a name, the person chosen now comes up to the front and gives appreciation to his or her classmates. What have I found? The children who are known to be the bully, or at least are known to have few friends, often struggle. They struggle to see the good in their classmates. Why? Because what we see in others is at some level a reflection of how we see ourselves. When we can't see the good in ourselves, it makes it very difficult to see the good in others. When students are struggling to offer appreciation, I assure them that gratitude and appreciation is like a muscle in our brain. If we struggle to be grateful and to offer others appreciation, then this is really good feedback. Now we know we need to exercise that part of our brain more. When we do, it will become stronger and sharing appreciations will get easier. I also tell them that people who believe they have happy lives and good friendships report that they make a point of being grateful almost every day. After several weeks of giving appreciations, I ask students, how does it feel to give an appreciation? Many have reported that it feels even better to offer an appreciation to others than to receive it. Ah yes, just like my grandma Ruby used to say, it's always better to give than to receive. Why is that? Because in the giving, we do receive. I have been doing appreciations at the end of each of my classes for over four years now. Most days, I witness children light up like a Christmas tree. The confident, well-liked children just smile and knowingly take it all in. This tends to be no surprise for them. They already believe they are kind, caring, fun, and as a result, that is what they show us. I have seen many children who struggle, ones that might be labeled as bullies, make jokes in an awkward way, struggling to hear good things about themselves. I have also seen quote-unquote bullies break down in tears and tell me they didn't know anyone saw anything good in them. I even heard one boy turn to me with angry tears and say, they are lying. His classmates' compliments were too hard to accept since they contradicted the story he had in his head about himself. It is a powerful exercise that for some young students clears their vision, making them aware of their own blindness about themselves and others. So what can we do to help prevent bullying? Let's begin by shifting our focus from anti-bullying initiatives to friendship and compassion building initiatives. Then, how can we as parents help our children who are experiencing some sort of bullying? Here are some practical suggestions for you to consider. First, begin by taking a few breaths and observe the bully in your mind's eye without judgment. What do you think is really going on within that child? Imagine the bully without the story. Can you let go of the label bully or other labels you might have about the child? No labels, 
No stories? Who do you see now? Remember, this is not about making excuses for the mean or inappropriate behavior. And this is certainly not about trying to make it okay. This is simply an invitation for just a moment to set down the story. Now who do you see? Once you've done this, get curious and ask, what stories or thoughts might the bully be believing about himself and his world that is resulting in him choosing mean and destructive behavior? Recognize that this struggling child is someone who is trying to get her needs met in a destructive way. In the heat of the moment, in the moment of those destructive behaviors, it is the best and only way she knows how to get her needs met. Ask yourself if there is any way you can help the individual struggling to meet his or her needs without compromising yourself. In other words, do not fall into the trap of believing the answer is to be permissive because the poor child has a rough life or a negative self-image. That can make us vulnerable and build resentment towards this child. The invitation here is how can we bring love and compassion to the situation rather than fighting it? My experience is what we resist persists. What we fight, we often ignite further. The invitation is to shift our energy so we stop fighting the bully. If fighting the bully worked, we would have abolished bullying centuries ago. Now, when you as the parent have sat down and completed these steps, when you have discovered even a slightly shifted perception and perhaps a small uprising of peace within you, then and only then invite your child to do the same. As adults, we need to do the work first in order to then role model these steps we need to first experience a shift within ourselves before we can guide our children. If your child comes home complaining about a bully, try expressing thoughts like, I wonder what she is believing about herself to behave that way. Or, I wonder what need he is trying to get met when he does that. You could invite them to wonder, why is it that you don't behave that way? How did you learn how to make kind choices for yourself and others? Hmm, why can't that child do that? Getting out of our judgment mind and just observing the others with curiosity is so freeing. Empathy and compassion are vital components to bullying prevention, or as I would like to say, friendship building. When we role model empathy and compassion with our children, then they too can build those same skills. Empathy and compassion not only prevents them from being bullied, but also prevents them from being aggressive or mean towards others. Even when kids are struggling to meet their needs like acceptance or recognition, they are less likely to be destructive towards another if empathy and compassion have been taught and role modeled. This helps teach children to be empathetic and compassionate with themselves during times of struggle and in turn allows them to do the same for others. They can see the challenging student as a fellow human being 
struggling to get his or her needs met in an effective and acceptable way. Once your child can see an aggressive child in this new way, you can continue assisting them by coaching them on how to set friendship boundaries. Even though we may understand why a child is behaving in a destructive way, that still does not make it okay. You can role play with your child things that he or she can say so it is clear to the other what behavior is acceptable in your child's life and what is not okay. For example, your child might say something to the aggressive child like, when you behave that way or when you say that to me, it's not okay to play with me or hang out with me. Then your child can inform the other what is acceptable. Coming back to the importance of teaching others what we want rather than what we don't want. Seeing the other with a new perception doesn't suddenly guarantee to heal them of their destructive behaviors. When your child is guided to see the other in this new light, it helps your child see the other in a new way, at a deeper level, beyond the original label or stories. When we see others in a greater light, it also, unknowingly, invites the other to see him or herself in a more positive way. As I said earlier, identities can be hard to change, so even if the difficult child doesn't become the most pleasant person, your child now has ways of perceiving and responding in a more compassionate way. Back to my mother bear analogy, how do we help our children protect themselves when they are away from the den without us? We give them the tools of love empathy and compassion that will protect them far more than words of insult or acts of retaliation. When I witness a child struggling to be kind, I often think of the golden rule. When I am struggling with believing painful thoughts, when I am being less than kind to others, how would I like others to treat me? With harsh words, threats and punishment? Or words of assurance and offerings of support? When we as adults are struggling to meet our needs for choice, respect, self-worth, or a sense of belonging, and are behaving in a destructive way, how would we want others to respond? Would punishing us prevent us from yelling, or being rude, or unpleasant again? Is it possible some forms of punishment over time could build up anger and resentment that perhaps we learn to suppress? We have seen on the news how anger suppressed over a long period of time can eventually erupt into potentially harmful and very destructive behavior. For those times we are quote unquote losing it and behaving in an unkind way, would assistance with managing the painful thoughts in our heads be more helpful? Would a kind and gentle, hey, what's up, be a good start? Perhaps having someone just listen while we vent and rage could go a long way in getting us back to ground zero. I have participated in many spiritual and religious events. Once, while listening to a wise Jewish man, I had a profound aha moment when I heard Rabbi Ted say, The enemy is someone you have not listened to. So if this is the case, if you have an enemy in your life, or perhaps a quote-unquote bully, what is the bully trying to say through his or her destructive behavior?
On the other side of this coin, we can also ask ourselves, what message is in this for us? What do we need to hear in all of this? What gift can we receive and help our children receive from times of challenge? We can contribute to our child's story of being a victim to a bully, or we can use the experience to help empower them. If we try to rescue our children from their pain and challenges, we rob them of their learning. Of course, we don't abandon them. Instead, we stand on the sidelines, coaching them along with guidance, tips, and offering them new ways of seeing their challenges, as well as new ways of seeing the other. And in the process, perhaps being open to receiving a realization that leaves us in awe. I was blind, but now I see. If all else fails, perhaps we can simply do what Rabbi Ted suggests we do when confronted by an apparent enemy. Stop and listen. If you are struggling with a parenting issue and are looking for support, please check out my website at jillmcpherson.com for ways I can assist you. I offer one-to-one support as well as various online parenting workshops. If you have any ideas or requests for a workshop on a certain topic, please contact me at jillmcphersonyes at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you also appreciate topic suggestions for future podcasts. And just a reminder that this parenting podcast is not only located on my website, chillmcperson.com, but you can also find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love listening to podcasts while I drive, exercise, or even when I just need to sit and relax. If you have found this podcast helpful, please be sure to share my email or social media posts so other parents can access these tips and ideas. Until then, join me, Jill McPherson, in awakening to a more loving, peaceful, and compassionate way to parent on Awakened Parenting.